1 Corinthians 13. We continue looking at the nature of biblical love, and Paul moves from his positive statement to a series of qualities of love that it's not to look like. As we look to our text this morning, if you'd please join me in praying for the reading of God's Word. Christ our God, we would ask that you indeed today, you would set our hearts on fire with love through your word, that in its flame, we would love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, Lord, so that by keeping your commandments, we might glorify you who are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And this we would pray and ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The word of the Lord, if you please be seated. Some of you will have heard me say this before. In seminary, I had gotten a small scholarship my first semester, and every little bit helped. I was genuinely thankful for it. In talking with a friend of mine, uh, his name was Christian, he was also in a different seminary across the country. He was excited to tell me about a scholarship that he had just received too. His was for several thousand dollars probably paid for, I think, his first full year. Mine was not even close. He was single. I was married with children. And what I thought was a genuine gratefulness suddenly was challenged by a dark shadow of my own heart. The envy that comparison stirs up was wanting to steal my joy. I could feel it. This should have been a day of good news. Two friends having been blessed by God. The antidote was thanksgiving. We should want good things for our friends. The antidote was also repentance. God does not stop being good because he blessed someone more than me. Envy is a tremendous plunder of God's storehouse of love and joy. It's a thief, a vandal, a spoiler of his goodness. It burns hot with a dead coldness of the soul. We, we hear those statements in our heart. I must have what they have because my life is dimmed until I get it. It's unfair. How come they have it and I don't? And one thing we know about our desires is that they go far beyond our needs. These dark desires lead us to a path of death and destruction. In His love for us, The Lord has given to us all things in Christ Jesus, and we must cultivate and nurture a generous and thankful heart. In His love for us, He gives us in the timing and in the amount that He deems best for us. So far in our text, Paul has given two positive verbs on love, and now he lists seven which speak of what love is not to look like. Why? Because this is what the Corinthians were looking like. The very negative things are what they were actually doing in the church. In the very opening of his letter to them, Paul, he he spoke about their divisions and quarreling, their pride, their boasting, 
jealousy and strife. These dark desires were corrupting the church. And we see here before us the dark desire of envy. There are two Greek words used in the New Testament for envy. The one that's most often used is always negative. It's always bad. Paul here is using the other word, and it can be good or bad. We see this in other words too, like the word fear. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of man is not. It's the Greek word zealous. And we get our word zealous, jealous. Almost the same. This comes almost directly into English. Greek to Latin into English. Zealous, jealous. The good meaning of that word. So the positive meaning is to be positively and intensely interested in something. To strive, desire, exert oneself earnestly. To be dedicated. That's the good meaning. The bad meaning. To have intense negative feelings over another's achievement or success. Be filled with jealousy, envy. Well, Paul uses it in the positive way in chapter 12 and 14. There he said, eagerly desire the higher gifts. Good way. And then in chapter 14, he goes right back to that. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Same word. And Scripture speaks repeatedly of God as being jealous, of being zealous. His desire is for an exclusive relationship with his people. But when this desire is turned in on itself, it's misdirected to a strong passion of envy. Paul told him in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, For you're still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, not, are you not behaving in the flesh, behaving in, in a human way? Now, they may have been blessed with some wonderful spiritual gifts, but those gifts do not make them spiritual people. Think of the, the destruction that envy has had through history. We see it so clearly in Scripture. Cain envied the acceptance of his brother Abel, and it leads to the first murder. Joseph's brothers were so envious of the special treatment that Joseph got from their father Jacob that they sold him into slavery. King Saul was so jealous of David's success, he feared losing the crown to him, so he attempted murder multiple times. Dark desires with such destructive consequences. We can allow frustrations of our own circumstances to move our desires in the wrong way. We we see this clearly in Psalm 73. The psalmist says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs into death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. I'm sure most of us have struggled with that at one time or the other. Like, man, they're getting away with everything, and everything's going their way, and they never pay the price for it. It bothers us. It it shouldn't surprise us that the Ten Commandments address this deep sin of our hearts. You shall not covet. The covet is to strongly desire something. It can be good or bad, and, and here it's bad. Exodus 20, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
or his male servant or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. Look how complete that list is. It includes all of your neighbor's stuff, his or her possessions, his or her relationships. That inward envy, oh, her house is so much nicer than mine. His car is way cooler than mine. I wish that my wife, my husband was like that. And on it goes. I appreciate our larger catechism instruction about this very commandment of coveting. It says that we are not to be discontent with what we have. Not envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor. I love that word, not grieving at the good of our neighbor. How we can actually be grieved in our heart because someone else is blessed. We're not to do that. Then positively it tells us that we are to have such a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul. Isn't that a wonderful way to put that? A charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor and all that is his so that we want his good to even increase. I'm not going to be grieved over your blessing, and I'm actually going to desire in my heart the genuine longing for you to increase. Now, we often use envy and jealousy, those words, interchangeably um, all the time, which is fine, but there is actually a difference between them. So when we're considering our own heart in the matter, sometimes it's, it's good to know the distinction Envy speaks of wanting what we don't have. We desire something not in our grasp, and we resent those who have it. Jealousy, it speaks of suspicion over someone else, the fear of a rival. We desire to hold on tightly to what we do have, we're afraid of losing it. Most of the time, we use jealousy in reference to relationships. Jealous that someone will take a person away from us. So envy... I want what I don't have, and jealousy, a fear of losing what I do. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman and Christian psychologist Dan Allender have a book, Cry of the Soul, where they go through the human emotions in the Psalms, and they say this. They said, at the core of jealousy and envy is a desperate desire to limit loss and guarantee satisfaction. I'll do everything I can to, to limit my loss and to guarantee my satisfaction. And, and when we covet what others have, we often don't just want what they have. We want them to lose. We want them to suffer in some way. It's not enough just to simply have what they have. They need to be stripped of it. They need to come down. In relationships, some can be so afraid that they will be left alone that they actually threaten to harm themselves or the other person if they would leave them. None of this is love. It does not care first and foremost of the other. In relationships, some have said things like, I can't live without you. If I can't have you, nobody will. That's not love. Love does not try to possess another person. It does not try to destroy them rather than to lose them. There's nothing loving about that. And to you young people, having someone who is jealous for you is initially can make you feel very special and wanted. 
He's like, well, he gets a little upset when he doesn't know where I am. Or she hangs on to me even tighter when other girls are around. No, no. That is a flashing check engine light on the dash. Flee that relationship. Run. Don't walk. Don't let your vanity at feeling treasured, your vanity at feeling treasured, suck you into a relational black hole. We hear the the words of Shakespeare. Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It's the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it eats. Green-eyed monster. We understand that. We understand Psalm 27 when it says, Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? That's a dark desire. And it leads to dark places. So what's the corrective? The corrective is a generous and glad heart. Biblical love puts up with a lot. It's generous. From three different authors commenting on this. Love is not displeased at the success of others. Love rejoices when someone else has a victory or a triumph. It's not envious of that. And lastly, heavenly desires seek not to hoard, but to give. Not to protect personal status, but to bless. A a generous heart, a disposition towards others, puts to death the green-eyed monster of envy. It's the nature of God's love to seek the good of others, to bless them. Think about it another way. What problems in the world would still remain if all of us actually looked to the good of someone else above our own? Think about the headlines we read. Just what would take place if somebody wasn't trying to get what somebody else had or to take it away from them? And simply wanted their good. That would change the entire news platform. That would change the world. But in our fallen state, it's not possible to do this perfectly. And yet the Spirit of Christ dwells in those who believe, who who call upon His name. We read with Paul in Philippians 4, he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, Paul has such a trust in God's sovereign hand over his life that he could rest in God's good care for him. Paul knew at times the Lord would bring an abundance to him for his own good. And at times, Paul needed from the Lord a lack, a deprivation for his own good. And for us, a deprivation never feels like a good. But it is one of the primary ways our growth in grace, our sanctification takes place. And we then must wage war on comparisons in our heart. It's easy to desire someone else's gifts, their position, 
their wealth. It's a fallen human condition to think the grass is greener in everyone else's yard but our own. That is just so universal. Everyone else has it better than I do. So, if you happen to see a new Infinito Blue Maserati MD20 Cielo drive by with its 621 horsepower Tateno twin turbocharged 3 liter V6 something non-specific and you smile and admire that car without wishing hot death for the driver. <laughs> That's what that looks like. You can appreciate the good that somebody else has, the beauty of something else, and actually be joyful that someone gets to have that, to enjoy that. Studies have shown repeatedly that social media tends to make us depressed because of comparisons. We, we see somebody else and we compare it and that desire, that, that envy for what they have or what we think they have makes us depressed. Even when we fully know that what we are seeing is carefully curated and manufactured, it still makes us envious. Even knowing that, ah, oh, that's a that's a bunch of fake pictures or those are just set up in a certain way to make you, and I still want it. And I'm still upset that I don't have it. And it puts a darkness on my countenance. To genuinely love our, our fellow Christians, we cannot resent them, the gifts or the ministries that God gave them. We are desire, to desire what is best for them. So how do we put to death the green-eyed monster of envy. How, how does change happen? Slowly. But in that, you have to want something different, a desire for a new desire, a redirected desire. Some don't even try because it just seems too hard, too impossible. For some, it's like the desire for that is a little more than a daydream, a wish. Wouldn't it be nice if I could look at that and not be envious? <laughs> Never happened. Why even bother spend the mental energy to do it? But that's not where we're to go. We start by looking at the nature of God's grace to us to help us extinguish the envious fire of our heart. What we have, we have received from the Lord, His mercy and His goodness. God deals with us through the sheer gift of grace alone. I don't deserve anything from the Lord but punishment for my sins. And if that is a foreign thought to you, good luck battling envy. Because envy comes from a heart that feels entitled. It thinks it deserves more than it's getting. It's God owes me something. No, all that we have is a gift. God's kindness and mercy to me through Jesus, the one who had it all but willingly gave it up to die for his people. From the the joy and the delight of grace, we are to practice gratitude and generosity. We repent of believing God is withholding some good from us or some joy from us. As if there's something malignant in God where we are actually starting to resent him for withholding from us. 
what we think will bring us life. We repent of that. That's sin. But we go beyond that. We understand, again, all is a gift. And you see, at times, it isn't even so much that we want to take away from someone else. But what they have, it highlights something we so desperately long for, but don't have. Go to a friend's wedding when you're single. A baby shower when you're childless. The excitement of a friend's college acceptance when you've been turned down. That's a hurt to our heart. And we understand when the psalmist cries out, how long, O Lord? And we ask, how do I bless somebody else in that circumstance when my heart is hurting so much? Because that's such a deep, deep desire and a good desire of my own heart. How do I bless them? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gives us some help. He said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories that you never dreamed of. God has made us so that right thinking affects right action and right action affects right thinking. Those those flow back and forth. It's not a one-way street. They move. They move our hearts. Think correctly, do correctly. Do correctly helps think correctly. So in that, we stop consuming and we, we give. Give of your money, your time, your talents. I'm not talking in the church. I mean, out there, everywhere. Give. When you want to clutch and you want to draw in, you want to put that to death, release and let go. And it it begins to put that to death. Bless others. Speak words of life and thanksgiving to them and about them. Tell your heart to rejoice in their good all the while you rejoice in their good. So we... Pray for the well-being of someone else, that they will blossom and grow in the love of God and of others. And in this, we yield to the Holy Spirit as He directs our hearts to a Christ-like attitude and action. Of course, this is beyond fallen human sinful beings. Again, we're supernaturalists. We believe that, that Christ's righteousness comes from the outside to us received by faith alone and that transformation takes place because of the holy spirit working in with and through the word in our hearts but it's a real transformation and so longing to see the goodness of god bless other people that we can become a conduit of that grace and that love and as we open ourselves up to that this amazing thing happens It is a scriptural principle. The more you give, the more you have to give. And I don't mean in a phony health and wealth gospel way. I mean in a real way, not of finances, but of the heart. 
a disposition of growth, a largeness. The pipe gets bigger because you can't outgive God in love to neighbor. The more that you love neighbor, the more love you have to give them. And it's an infinite supply from an infinite God. And that changes us. A greater capacity to enjoy, to worship. A, a greater freedom that we walk in. When, when we are ending, when we are jealous, it makes our world really small, tight, and dark. Miserable. And when we are unable to release that, Because of grace received, it widens everything out. And we are able to live in the fullness of joy that God intended for us. Love is never a self-eating snake, eating its tail. It is a giving out. It is a pouring to. It is a blessing of others. Because that is the nature of God. That is the nature of Christ who is the visible representation of God. We see the beautiful love of the Trinity on display, of the self-giving to one another, no envying of status, position, possessions. I have, you need, here, take, here, take. That is what God has made us for. And that glory is not simply yet to come. It is what we experience in part now as we look to the fulfillment and the blessing of others, as we release our fingers on the tight hold of those desires we think will give us life but only give us death. Brothers and sisters, let us be free in the fullness of the love of God to the good and the well-being of one another. Pray with me. Father God, indeed, we are so grateful for all that you have given to us. It is just sheer gift. It's sheer mercy. And Lord, we would ask indeed that you would forgive us, Father, where we have thought ill of you or ill of others because of what we don't have. Father, help us to see beyond what's in front of us. Help us to really trust you that you do know what's best for us. And forgive us, Lord God, where we have, where we have doubted that. Fill our hearts to full with the love of Christ. Father, change our desires, reorient them towards you to a greater horizon. We pray and ask this through Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Will you please stand together as we sing your love, O Lord.